Episode of the Riley and Kimmy Show. It is a Sunday episode. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. 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 <laughs> Hi. Hello. 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 Yes. Hello. I am your host, Patrick Riley. I am the villain of the story. And right next to me is the hero of this story. That is Kimmy. She's in costume. She is my witch. She's my witch. You can see her in costume coming up as a witch. Possibly that is one week from now. That is at the Melbourne Toy and Comic Con happening not in Australia, but in Florida. That's right. Melbourne, Florida, the Space Coast. One week from now as we upload this episode. Right, Kimmy? Mm -hmm. Can you believe that? I know. This is a family fun event for all ages. $10 $10 just to get in. Those who are 10 and under, free. Bring your costumes. Costume contest is going to be happening, so you can test out your uh, your Halloween costume. That'd be one of the perfect yeah, places perfect. to do that. Wear whatever. You want to show your support to superheroes, that's great. Science fiction, maybe Star Wars. Or perhaps something horror-based. That's all welcomed at the Melbourne Toy and Comic-Con. It will be a... Halloween special event, right, Kimmy? Mm-hmm. Artist Tyler Kirkham will be there. Also, meet Billy Tushi. Talk to him about uh, Harlequin and some other works and projects. And not tiny, but teeny, teeny Howard. And she's not teeny or tiny. I mean, she's, you know. She's tall. Yeah, she's real tall. You can see a video of her and I together recently. We have that available right on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That is, I'm going to not botch it here. Teeny, not tiny. That's Teeny Howard. She works on many books, including Rick and Morty. You can talk to her about Rick and Morty as well. And, she, you know, she might even do some sketches, too, of Rick and Morty stuff. Mm-hmm. She's great to meet. Yes. Panel. Te- teeny is bigger than life. Yes, she is. And she's fun. And you'll be able to meet her at the Melbourne Toy and Comic Con. Panels will be going on throughout the day, including cosplay panels and costuming panels. Excellent vendors. Tons of vendors there with all kinds of collectibles ranging from all time periods of going back to the thrilling days of yesteryear to current stuff maybe that uh, pop vinyl you're looking for or that certain hot toy might be there as well or statue or other collectible that's all at the melbourne toy and comic con you can find out more on their facebook page and we have links to their facebook page on our website along with on our website celebrity interviews videos nerd news Oh, boy. Nerd links, pop culture links, archived episodes of the Riley and Kimmy Show. And if you have an upcoming event that you would like the Riley and Kimmy Show to be part of and to promote, we have a contact event page right there is the best way to connect with us. You can find all those links right on our website. What is our web address, Kimmy? Rileyandkimmy.com. Rileyandkimmy.com. The Riley and Kimmy Show. 
Shall we play again? That's a question for Sunday, October 15th. Does Kimmy want to play nerd and pop culture trivia? Kimmy, are you up to it? Do you want to do that, or are you too tired to play nerd and pop culture trivia? This is being recorded way before the hour of sunrise. Oh, I'm ready. All right, here we go. Timeline has been adjusted. It's not in chronological or linear order, meaning it's all jumbled up, just like I am. Feel free to shout out answers to Kimmy. She believes in time travel answers. Uh, she really does. She says it works. So yell at whatever computing device you have the Riley and Kimmy show playing on right now. It could be anything because we are mobile and we are global. The Riley and Kimmy show. This episode being brought to you by the Melbourne Toy and Comic Con happening Sunday, October 22nd. Kimmy, our very first question for you is in the world of theme parks. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. It was on this date, Legoland in Florida. That's Legoland, Florida, opened in Winter Haven. Can you give me the year this happened within two years? 2014? It was 2011, Legoland Ooh. opened. No Legos for you. Mm. We're, we're penalizing you now. Uh. It was on this date in 1847. A novel by Charlotte Bronte was first published in London. It would be made into plays. It would be made into even a comic book, maybe even more than one comic book over the course of time, and movies. Identify the name of this novel from this soundbite from one of the versions on film. Let's make the most of what time has left us. Let us sit here in peace. Even though we should be destined never to sit here again. Sometimes I have a queer feeling with regard to you, Jane. Especially when you're near me as now. It's as if I had a string somewhere under my left rib. Tightly and inextricably knotted to a similar string situated in a corresponding corner of your little frame. And if we should have to be parted, that cord of communion would be snapped and nervous notion I should take to bleeding inwardly. As for you, you'd forget me. Kimmy, have you forgotten the name of that novel? What is the name of the novel? Jane Eyre. That's right. And who starred in that cinematic version we just gave a little sample of? Orson Welles. That's right. One of my favorite uh, versions of Jane Eyre. Matter of fact, my favorite version. Mm -hmm. Love Wells in that. 1847, the book was published. If you've never read it, check it out. It is a great read, even though it is quite old. It was on this date, Kimmy. Pay attention here. Let's see if you paid attention in history class up in uh, Igloo you know, Elementary School. Grace Bedell, 11 years old at the time in 1860, wrote a letter to a presidential candidate. The letter stated that he would look better if he grew a beard, and he actually paid attention to the letter. Hmm. Who was the presidential candidate in 1860. Abraham Lincoln. That's right. She's the reason he grew the beard, supposedly. They say that is true. It was on this date in 1951. A popular radio program under a different name becomes a TV show. It's uh, it's adjusted a little bit, but one of the stars is the star of this TV show. It premieres on CBS TV. The year is 1951. Identify the TV show. How can I go to sleep till I know who killed her? Let's see, it was either the upstairs maid or the butler or the cook. It was her husband. Her husband? He didn't have any reason to kill her. He was married, wasn't he? Oh. <laughs> I can 
see it all now. He worked very hard all day. Got home about two o'clock in the morning. She started pestering him. Wouldn't let him sleep. He stood her as long as he could. He decided to do away with her. Kimmy, can you identify that TV show? I love Lucy. And she loves me We're as happy as two can be We have our quarrels But then, oh How we love making up again Lucy kisses like no one can She's my missus and I'm her man And life is heaven, you see Cause I love Lucy, yes I love Lucy and Lucy was a powerful singer. That's Desi Arnaz. Kimmy was right. I love Lucy premieres on CBS TV on this day, 1951. Now, it's not the original. In It actually came from a radio show that Lucy was part of called My Favorite Husband. And it was very successful over over 120 episodes. Very popular. When TV came to be, they wanted to take it to television. But Lucy said, hey, I, I don't want this guy who's playing my husband to be my husband. I want Desi to uh, be part of the show. Studio said, no, 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 no. We want the way it is on the radio show. And Lucy proved them that it could work with Desi. They didn't think the mixed marriage thing would work. Example, they didn't think it would play in Peoria, Illinois. If it couldn't play in Peoria, Illinois, middle America couldn't play and be successful. Well, she took the show, the concept, on the road with Desi, and they played like in clubs and stuff and filmed it, went to the studio executives, said, hey, this is how the, the audience is reacting to this. They were convinced, and that is how I Love Lucy came to be. Now, Lucy took the primary writers of My Favorite Husband and made them part of the I Love Lucy show. And some of the scripts that were done on the radio show were retooled for TV. It's kind of cool, huh? Mm-hmm. Gail Gordon was part of the radio show. He could not do the TV show because he was committed with a little thing called Our Miss Brooks. But he would eventually work in an episode of I Love Lucy and then eventually down on Lucy's other shows, he would play Mr. Mooney and stuff. So there there are some classic voices and stuff you'll hear with a radio version. We have three examples of that radio show that inspired, launched I Love Lucy. It's available right now on our website. What is our web address, Kimmy? RileyandKimmy.com Yeah, check out... My favorite husband. These are all back-to-back, uninterrupted for your listening pleasure. And might even include a uh, a commercial that is part of the radio show where Lucy sings a Jello commercial. It's kind of cool to hear her uh, doing some singing. That's, that's really cool. That's my favorite husband and I Love Lucy. Kind of tie them together there. Now, what is your favorite episode of I Love Lucy? Can we catch catching you on the uh, kind of off guard here? Oh, wow. Um, I don't know. Maybe the one where... Um she pretends to know Spanish. That is pretty cool. That's one where she actually has a, an earpiece that's put into her. It's really mm-hmm. high tech. They actually use a, a wireless situation. And, yeah, she, she's trying to talk to Ricky's mother who comes in from Cuba. Mm-hmm. She wants to make a good impression on her, and it doesn't go very well, does it? Mm-mm. And uh, my favorite happens to be with George Reeves who comes in and actually in costume as Superman. Mm-hmm. And she's cosplaying as Superman in it. She does some early cosplay. It is it is horrible and hmm. it's hilarious. That's probably one of my favorite right there. Or how about the Vegemitematic thing where she mm. gets loaded drinking the yeah. the thing? That's pretty cool too, too, isn't it? Uh huh. Yeah. 
Uh, I love Lucy. Love those shows. They still run them somewhere. Matter of fact, I know MeTV does run it on a daily basis. Staying in television, Kimmy, the year is 1959. A certain crime-based TV show premieres. It is quite violent for the time period. Still holds up today. Identify the TV show. In 1934, Prohibition had been repealed, and the Capone mob, without its leader, serving time at Alcatraz Prison, was desperate for new sources of revenue. With the instinct of jackals for an easy kill, they picked the nation's small theater owners for their prey. The type of operation used was one they knew best, extortion. On a quiet street in Oak Park, Illinois, suburb of Chicago, Harold Coleman was closing his theater. Coleman was the owner and operator of two small motion picture houses. He thought he hadn't an enemy in the world, but he was soon to learn that he was mistaken. To put their extortion plan into operation, the Capone mob had chosen Frank Nitti, longtime enforcer for Scarface Al Capone. Kimmy, tell me the name of that TV series. The Untouchables. The Untouchables. A Desilu production. Tonight's episode, The Frank Nitty Story. Starring Robert Stack as Elliot Ness. Co-starring Richard Anderson. Myron McCormick. And Dick Ferran. With special guest star Bruce Gordon and narrated by Walter Winchell. Yeah, the Untouchables and, you know, tying to Lucy there because that was a Lucy Desi production right there. Desi Lou production. They believed in it and they they didn't uh, pull any uh, any small uh, budget tricks on this show. It actually had a, a great budget. It, it was fantastic or is fantastic to actually watch. It's amazing how violent it is, too, when you look at it, considering the time period when it came on. Of 1959, that is The Untouchables. And some of the sets, matter of fact, uh, quite a bit of uh, some of the downtown like Chicago scenes and stuff like that or suburban scenes, they will make their ways into other TV shows. Star Trek is one of them where they go back into the 1920s and 30s, the Edith Keeler area. Some of that is a Desilu set of The Untouchables. It's also some of the Andy Griffith show. And another one where they go back in time and there's a bunch of mobsters running a planet. You see Kirk... And Spock, you know, roaming around in 1920s kind of thing, 30s. That is a untouchable set that they're using and uh, props and stuff like that. The year is 1968, Kimmy. This single is released. Identify the recording artist. Kimmy, can you tell me who had that as a hit? Stevie Wonder. Yes, for once in my life. Now, was that a number one hit on the Billboard Hot 100 or not? I'm going to say no. It was not. It almost made it. It was number two on the Billboard Hot 100 and number two on the Billboard R&B charts. It was on this day, 1971. Ricky Nelson is booed. He is booed on stage. When he decides to perform new material at an oldies show at Madison Square Garden, nobody wants any of the new material. They want they want that old stuff, and he does get booed. The year is 1973, Kimmy. A certain TV show debuts on late night TV. It would be a well, it would be groundbreaking, be the best way to put it. Some very interesting interviews over the course of time on this show. 
identify the TV show, and more importantly, identify the talk show host of this TV show. Here's your audio clue from 1973. Good morning, everyone. It's now tomorrow here on NBC. Many years ago, more years than I care to remember, I can recall my father taking me to see one of the first motion pictures that I remember going to see with my parents. Uh, the star of the motion picture was Farley Granger. He was one of the stars of it. And it was called Strangers on a Train. It's a long time ago, over 20 years. And I couldn't believe at the time, and I can't believe now, that uh, sitting across from me on the program this morning is the man who appeared on a train platform in that picture carrying what I recall to be a bass fiddle case. His name is Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, he is a legend in his own time. I suppose he would despise that title, but he has been called that. He is uh, a motion picture director, a television personality. And uh, he is going to be with us for the entire program this morning, and all of us uh, are pleased and honored that you would take time to come down here and do this with us. And I would like to begin by uh, asking you a question that pertains to your films. I'd like not to talk with you this morning about movies, but rather about ideas. I may not be successful at that, but uh, I'm going to attempt. All the pictures that you do scare people. Mm -hmm. What frightens you? What e are you afraid of? Excellent question. Can you tell me who that is? Tom Snyder. And the TV show? Tomorrow. That's right, NBC. Now, that's not the first episode, but it is from the first time period, the, the first year. That is from 1973 with Alfred Hitchcock. We have that entire interview, Ooh. the video, with him and Mr. Hitchcock. I want to know the answer. And he does answer that. It's available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Check that out. I think you will be amazed at what his answer is. What frightens Alfred Hitchcock? Mm. It's a fantastic interview. Snyder was a master at the interview. Unfortunately, I think he's remembered by many in the parodies that were done on Saturday Night Live. Do you know who used to uh, imitate him? Dan Aykroyd. That's right. I think that kind of stands out more in people's minds. But Snyder was fantastic. He also was fantastic on talk radio, too, as well. And one of my favorite interviews he did way back was a couple of things. was uh, Kiss, when he had Gene Simmons on, and Simmons is trying to control the group. Oh, boy, that is, that is something. And he actually showed some new toys once, and he had like this, uh, this track, programmable track toy. It was like a tank, and you could program it, and it could go anywhere. And matter of fact, one of my friends and I... Should not have been up very late. We were watching this thing, and the very like next day or so, we got somebody to drive us. I can't remember. It was like 50 or 60 or 70 miles to where we could find one of those because mm. they didn't have them in the small area that we were living at the time. That's, that's one of my fond memories of Tomorrow with Tom Snyder. It was on this date in 1976. This single is released, Kimmy. It spends nine weeks on the Billboard charts, peaks at number 26 on the Billboard Hot 100 in America. Identify the recording artist. Oh, your daddy don't feel good. Take a dose of rock and roll and wash it down with cool tin soul. Uh-huh. You better get your ripple souls out. He's out on your mean control. I have a feeling it's a forgotten 45, a dose of rock and roll. Who recorded that? 
That's not familiar to me, but it sounds like Ringo Starr. That's right. Ringo had that as a, well, it was a hit. It was a top 40 hit, 1976. 1977, this single is released. Tell me who the recording artist is, the group. Who is this? Fire, who had that as a hit in 1977? Earth, Wind, and Fire? Yes, the Elements had that. Number 13 hit on the Billboard Hot 100. Number one on Billboard's Hot R&B Singles. The year is 1977. This single's released. Tell me who the recording artist is. Slip sliding away. Slip sliding away. You know the nearer your destination, the more you slip sliding away. Who had that as a hit in 1977? Paul Simon. Number one or not, Kimmy? Yes. No. No. Billboard Hot 100, number five. And on the easy listening charts that they had at the time, it was number four. The year is 1996. Tommy Lee was charged with attacking a cameraman that was trying to take pictures of him and his wife. Who is his wife at the time? The year is 1996. Pamela Anderson. That's right. And what band was Tommy Lee with? Poison? Motley Crue. Motley Crue. But you got the bulk mm. of the questions right. You get the Pamela, Pamela thing right. So uh, we'll give you a, a positive on that. Uh, a, a, a correct that was just a bonus, the band thing. Because okay. I know those hair bands throw you. Yes. I don't know if I really... I get them confused. I don't know if I'd actually throw Motley in there as a hair band. But yeah, they, they, they confuse you. I get it. The year is 2002. This comedian divorces actress Drew Barrymore after less than a year of marriage. Who was she married to well, for a brief period of time, Kimmy? Hmm. A comedian. I don't know. Tom Green. <laughs> Celebrity and notable birthdays. Kimmy, this person born 1920, died 1999 at the age of 79. A writer, a author. He is known for his crime novels about the mafia. Most notably, The Godfather. He wrote 1969, which he later co-adapted into a three-part film saga for Coppola. Now, can you tell me who this is? Matter of fact, he received an Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay for his first film in 1972 and Part 2 in 1974. And by the way, he wrote the original screenplay, which was made into a novel for the 1978 Superman film. Who is it? Mario Pucci? Well, judges, should we give that to her? They're saying, yeah, she's close enough. It's Mario Puzo. Puzo. Yes. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, yeah, close enough, Kimmy. Next person born on this date is Jean Peters, actress, born 1926, died 2000 at the age of 73. American actress known as a star of 20th Century Fox films in the late 1940s and early 1950s. And another claim to fame, she was the second wife of Howard Hughes. They were married from 1957 until 1971. And she would not talk about him when they divorced after that. They just said nothing. They must have been an agreement. I mean, zero said zip. 
That is Jean Peters. Next person, an actress. Known for a certain TV show, Kimmy, that started in 1976. First, identify the TV show. Here's your clue. Early to rise. Early to bed. And in between, I cooked and cleaned and went out of my head. Going through life with blinders on, it's tough to see. I had to get up, get out from under and look for me. There's a new girl in town and she's looking good. There's a fresh, freckled face in the Kimmy, identify that TV show. Alice? That's right. Alice was on from 1976 till when? Within two years. When did Alice go off the air? 1982? You're close enough, almost. You missed it by three. It was 1985. Ran for nine seasons. 202 episodes. Here's a soundbite. Identify the actress we're talking about. And bonus points... There was a guest star on this certain episode. See if you can identify his voice, who she's talking to. Here's your audio clue. Oh, oh, that's Tommy's sex education teacher. <laughs> you see, the thing is that my Tommy's growing up very fast, and I want to know what you're teaching him. Hey, didn't you read about our film in the PTA newsletter? No, I never got past the paper drive or the fun to buy the football team protective cups. Well, if, if you read about it, you know that we show these films in people's homes so they can see what their kids are learning. Well, so when do you show it again? I'd like to see the film. Oh, we had a session tonight at Mr. Bullock's home, but he got ill with the flu and we had to cancel. I know. Why don't we do it here? You mean your boss might open the diner for us? <laughs> Listen... For a chance to feed 20 parents, he'd open his grandfather's tomb. Identify the actress having a birthday, Kimmy. Linda Lavin. And who was she talking to? Who was the special guest star? Well, that sounds like Mr. Adam West. Yes, he was playing the sex ed teacher. That mm. is Adam West. He appeared on Alice. Now, how old is Linda Lavin today within five years? 72. Linda Lavin is celebrating her 80th birthday. Next person. Actress and director, Kimmy. She was a huge show starting in the 1970s. Matter of fact, it was even spun off into a cartoon at one time, Saturday Morning Cartoon. But she also acted on a, a comedy before that. See if you can identify who she is and tell me the TV show she was part of. Here's your audio clue. Yes, Mr. Unger, everything is just the way you wanted it. See? You can't see. Trust me. <laughs> yes, I'm standing up straight. Mr. Unger, I am not slumping. He's coming. Goodbye. Good morning, Mr. Madison. Kimmy, can you identify that voice? Penny Marshall. Yes, and... What TV show was that? That was The Odd Couple. Yes, and then she would eventually go on to star on what TV show? Laverne and Shirley. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Flamil, Flamazo, Hudson's Incorporated. We're going to do it. Give 
got it right. Kimmy, now, did you ever watch Laverne and Shirley? Sure. Well, probably in syndication, not when it originally ran because of your age and stuff like that. You're just far too young. I wonder if you ever saw, did you ever see the cartoon that they did on Saturday mornings? Uh, okay, avoid that one. I love classic cartoons, but that's one to stay kind of away from. How old is Penny Marshall today within five years? 72. She is 74 today. Next person, he was part of the Carpenters. It's Richard Carpenter. How old is he today within five years? Mm. 76. He is 71. Next person, tell me the group... He was part of actually two musical groups. Tell me the names of, you know, identify the groups, okay? His name is Tito Jackson. He's celebrating his 64th birthday. Um, The Jackson Five? Yes. And the Jacksons. That's correct. Next person, actress Kimmy, known for a certain TV show. And well, she did some other things, too. She was actually in a Bond film as well. But she was known for a TV show from 1980 to 1981 when she took over, well, actually replace someone she didn't take over their role she played julie rogers on this show identify it kimmy can you identify that tv show that's charlie's angels now she played julie rogers can you tell me the the name of the actress who played Julie Rogers from 1980 to 1981 on Charlie's Angels. Tanya Roberts. That's right. How old is Tanya today within five years? Mm, 66. She is 62 today. Next person, Sarah Ferguson, Duchess of York. Gimme. How old is she within five years? 52. She is 58 today. I see dead people. Notable deaths, actor Pat O'Brien died 1983 at the age of 83. One of the best-known screen actors of the 1930s and 1940s, well-remembered for his roles like in Newt Rockne, All-American, 1940, Angels with Dirty Faces in 1938, and Some Like It Hot in 1959. Next person who passed away 2008, Edie Adams died at the age of 81. Singer, actress, and comedian, and business person. She worked in, well, she had her own cosmetic line for a period of time. Adams was an Emmy Award and Tony Award winner. She is well known for her impersonations of big-time stars at the time period. She could do a spot-on impersonation of Marilyn Monroe. She was a wife and television partner of Ernie Kovacs until his death in 1962 of a car accident. Friends. <laughs> Friends of television. Hi. This is... Hobart Lip Schultz, your friendly announcement. We uh, don't want to intrude into your living room, the privacy of your home. We just want to talk a little bit about a product we've got today that, well, friends, <laughs> I think you'll find it pretty necessary. Friends, eat food. Eat food three times a day, friends. Eat food morning, noon, and night. Food's good for you. <laughs> Yes, friends. Food builds you up. It gives you all of the vitamins you can't get in vitamins. Friends, food is delicious. You can fry food. <laughs> you can boil food. And you can frickin' see it. Now, friends, you take a good piece of food and roast it. What's more delicious than roast food? Hmm? Nothing. Now, friends, I just want to tell you. You can get food at all your supermarkets. And if you can't get it in the supermarket... <laughs> go to your good independent grocer 
He has food. <laughs> and now, Miss? Uh, yes, friends. Except no substitutes. Buy food. That's right. Friend. Food is good for you. That's right. And remember, friends, one final thing about food. Remember, when you're buying food, spell it backwards and it's doof. That's Ernie Kovacs with Edie Adams. Uh, they did a bunch of comedy bits way back when. She also recorded material. It was released. He don't want to be kissed. He likes walking. He likes talking. Did you ever? Well, I never. He don't want to be kissed. He likes parties. He likes ball games. Loves gin rummy. He loves all games. Other fellas make me feel I am loaded with appeal. They tell me they will die. Just die if I Yes, that's Edie Adams who passed away on this date. Kimmy, I think you did a fantastic job with trivia today. Well, thank you. We're gonna well, we're gonna go back in time here and honor something we talked about on trivia with the golden age of radio. That's O'Reilly and Kimmy Show. We kind of got something that's going to tie into Halloween and that upcoming, uh, you know, uh, Halloween fest we're going to be part of. That is with uh, the Melbourne Toy and Comic Con happening October 22nd. And by the way, we will be part of a Halloween event on uh, October 28th. That's Saturday. Part of something with Highlander Novelties. You can find out more on our website at RileyandKimmy.com and definitely our Facebook page. We'd love to see you. That one will be in Okoe, Florida. We mentioned... During trivia, actress Jean Peters was born on this date in 1926. Well, she acted on radio and many things, but we have something she did that is a real treat. It's rarely heard. We've never played it on the Riley and Kimmy show, and it is sci-fi fantasy horror-based. It is the radio adaptation to The Day the Earth Stood Still. And it is very special because Paul Fries is the narrator Powerful reads, chilling at times. And that is the day the earth stood still. Our way of saying happy Halloween a little early, right, Kimmy? Happy Halloween. And a tribute to actress Jean Peters, who was born on this date in 1926. Here's the day the earth stood still on the Riley and Kimmy Show. Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, brings you the Lux Radio Theater, starring Michael Rennie and Gene Peters in The Day the Earth Stood Still. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. Irving Cummings. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. There is an ever-present question that has puzzled and intrigued our world for centuries. Is there life on any of the other planets? So in tonight's play, we will tell you of a possible momentous event in our future. The arrival of this planet, on this planet, of a man from the outer space. The day the Earth stood still. And as our stars of this provocative drama from 20th Century Fox, we have one of their fastest rising stars, Michael Rennie, co-starring with that outstanding actress, Jean Peters. Now, act one of The Day the Earth Stood Still, starring Michael Rennie as Clatoo, and Jean Peters as Helen Benson. 
It was a pleasant spring day, an ideal day for a walk in the park, a day to push the baby buggy and be glad you were alive. There'd been at least 20 such sparkling days that spring and perhaps a billion or more of them since the earth began. And nothing had ever happened to spoil them but a few small fires or a slight head cold in the evening or a rain squall. This spring day in the middle of the marvelous 20th century was different. It was the most different day that had happened to mankind since the first Christmas. The thing was noticed in Hong Kong first on the British radar. But that's impossible. That thing must be doing about 4,000. That can't be aircraft, sir. It must be a buzz bomb. Better give an alarm. Keep it steady, though. Maybe faulty equipment. If the British radar in Hong Kong was faulty, so was the radar all over the Orient and Asia and Europe. So were the announcers on the radio. This is Moscow. This is Calcutta, India. This is Radio Luxembourg. The American radar screen quickly confirmed the fact that there was nothing wrong with the British radar, and that there was something very gravely wrong 40 miles out in space, far above the Earth. Luckton at Ferris to Baker, Ferris to Baker. I have an object at two zero zero thousand feet. Four zero 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 miles an hour. Then it was here. Incredibly, it was here. Burning down through the sky over Washington, D.C., hovering over the mall. Descending. They're here! They're coming! They're here! They're here! Not a sound. Stillness. Not a move from the cordon of tanks and armored cars and troops in full battle dress. Not a sound or gesture from the monstrous domed disk resting on the grass. The ship designed for travel outside the Earth's atmosphere landed in Washington today at 3.47 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We still do not know where it came from. The ship is now resting exactly where it landed two hours ago. So far, there is no sign of life from inside the ship. Behind the cordon of troops, tanks, and artillery is a huge crowd of curiosity seekers. Every eye, every weapon is trained on the ship. The atmosphere is one of terrific tension rather than of fear. It's been that way for... Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen. I think something's happening. The spaceship is opening up. Someone is coming out. Keep calm, everybody. Don't get excited. Keep calm. Quiet! A wedge is opened in the smooth, unbroken metal skin of the spaceship. A ramp slithers out on the grass against an eerie glow of unearthly light from inside the spaceship stands the spaceman. He is a man, entirely like ourselves. He wears a close-fitting suit like a deep-sea diver's armor but of alien material. A spherical helmet entirely conceals his head. He holds up his hand. He is going to speak. We have come to visit you in peace and with goodwill. Receive me as a friend. Here he comes, men. Watch it. Keep that BAR trained on him. He, he's going for something in his tunic, sir. Quiet. It's a ray gun or something. I'm going to let him have it. No, no, wait. You fool, he's down. Hold back that crowd. Everybody, 
back! Your wound doesn't look too bad. I'm sorry, but you shouldn't have gone for that ray gun. It, it was not a weapon. He understands us. It was a gift for your president. With it, you might have studied life on other planets. What's bothering the crowd, Lieutenant? Tell him to... Oh, no. Oh, no! A nightmare stands on the ramp leading out of the spaceship. A mechanical giant, monstrous, all metal and menace, with a visor in his helmet lifting slowly, revealing a dreadful light boiling within that metal head. And suddenly out of that incandescence, a narrow ray. Rifles, tanks, artillery glow with that terrible incandescence and become vapor in a mush of puddled steel. And in the deathly silence that follows, the robot strides down the ramp. The Avenger. From where? God! The glitch of Roscoe! He won't hurt you now! Let's get you to a hospital. Good afternoon, uh, sir. Good afternoon. The doctors here tell me your wound is not serious. No. It amazes them that it's almost healed already. Oh, I'm very glad. It should serve as some sort of indication of our powers. My name is Harley, secretary to the president. I've been told you speak our language fluently, that your name is Mr. Klatu. Just Klatu. The president has asked me to convey our deepest apologies for what has happened. Sit down, Mr. Harley. I'm sure I don't have to point out that your arrival was something of a surprise. Uh, had you been traveling long? About five months. Your months. Oh, you must have come a long way. About 250 million of your miles. Uh, naturally, we're very curious to know where you come from. From another planet. Let's just say that we're neighbors. It's rather difficult for us to think of another planet as a neighbor. I'm afraid in the present situation you'll have to learn to think that way. The present situation? I mean the reasons for my coming here. Would you care to talk about it? Not now, or with you alone. Perhaps you'd rather discuss it uh, personally with the president. I want to meet with the representatives from all the nations of the Earth. I'm afraid that would be a little awkward. Why? In view of the tensions and suspicions in our world today, such a meeting would be impossible. Mr. Harley, my mission here concerns the existence of every last creature who lives on Earth. It must not be complicated by the childish jealousies, intrigues, suspicions of your planet. Our problems are very complex. You uh, mustn't judge us too harshly. I'm in patience with stupidity. My people have learned to live without it. The president will, of course, do his best to bring about the meeting you desire. I know it will be quite useless. I wish it were otherwise. I'm very sorry, Mr. Klatu. Wait. Before making any grave decisions, I think I should get out among your people. Become familiar with the basis for these strange, unreasoning attitudes. Our military people insist that you do not attempt to leave the hospital. The door will be locked. I'm sure you understand. Good day, Mr. Clato. The door will be locked. <laughs> will it now? Plot to escape. 
nor could the embarrassing news of his disappearance long be suppressed. It was read about in the papers and described in excited tones over the radio. Authorities at Walter Reed Hospital still refuse to comment on how he managed to escape, except to say that he broke into a hospital locker and stole clothing belonging to a staff doctor. While the government does not minimize the crisis... This was the latest and the only the news. And among the countless millions listening were two men and women in an ordinary home on an ordinary street in Washington. Mrs. Crockett's Calm, rooming house. We are warned, however, there was Mrs. Crockett and Helen Benson and little Bobby Benson. That we may be up against powers that are beyond our control or understanding. Oh, and that we... I just can't stand any more of this. Oh, I wanted to hear more, Mrs. Crockett. It's exciting, isn't it, Mother? Hush, Bobby. Exciting? It's enough to drive a person... Uh, Oh, who are you? I'm sorry. Oh. I saw your sign outside and the door was open. My name is Carpenter. Yes? I'm looking for a room. Oh, oh, oh yes. I, I do have a nice room. Are you a G-man? No, I'm afraid I'm not. I bet he is, Mom. I bet he's looking for that spaceman. I think we've all been hearing too much about spacemen, Mr. Carpenter. This is Mrs. Benson, Mr. Carpenter. How do you do? And this is little Bobby, my youngest guest. Hi. I'm Mrs. Crockett. <laughs> You're a long way from home, aren't you, Mr. Carpenter? How did you know? Oh, I can tell a New England accent every time. <laughs> this way, please, Mr. Carpenter. And so this Sunday morning, we ask the question that has been plaguing the entire world for two days now. Where is the creature, and what is he up to? Eat your cereal, Bobby. Oh, Mom, I'm almost as it is. Bobby. Okay, Mr. Carpenter. I'm sorry, Mrs. Crockett. Please, go on reading. Oh, um, creature, and what is he up to? Uh, if he can build a spaceship that can fly to Earth, and a robot that can destroy our tanks and guns, what other terrors can he unleash at will? What a man. Obviously, we must track down this monster and destroy him before he destroys us. Correct. Then why don't they do it? This spaceman, or whatever he is, we automatically assume he's a menace. Maybe he isn't, after all. Well, then where is he, Mrs. Benson? What's he up to? Maybe he's afraid. Oh, he's afraid. Well, after all, he was shot the minute he landed here. I just was wondering what I'd do. Perhaps before deciding upon a course of action, you'd want to know more about the people here. Nothing strange about Washington. A person from another planet might disagree with you. <gasps> oh, it's all right, Mrs. Crockett. That's Mr. Stevens calling for me. Uh -huh. I'll go to the door. That awful robot standing there like an ugly iron statue is giving me the shivers. Morning, Tom. Hello, Helen. <laughs> hey, can anybody see us? <laughs> no. Hmm. <laughs> So, all right, we're all set. I picked up some sandwiches and put gas in the car and the radio is busted so we can forget about the spaceman for a day, huh? I haven't been able to arrange for anyone to stay with Bobby. Mrs. Crockett's going out and uh, I don't suppose we could take him with us. Oh, well, we could. Just today. Mrs. Crockett has plans and I don't know who else to ask. I haven't any plans. Oh, Mr. Carpenter. I'd be glad to spend the day with Bobby. If you'd let me. Oh, great. Thanks. <laughs> well, it's very nice of you to offer. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Carpenter. This is Tom Stevens. Hi. How do you do? Bobby and I had a fine time yesterday afternoon. I thought he might show me around the city today. Well... Please, I'd enjoy it. 
this is where my father is buried. Robert Benson, Virginia, 1st Lieutenant, 45th Infantry. April 10th, 1916, January 29th, 1944. Your father was very young, wasn't he, Bobby? He was killed at Anzio. Did, did all these people here die in wars? Well, most of them. Didn't you ever hear of Arlington Cemetery? I'm afraid not. You don't seem to know much about anything, Mr. Carpenter. I've been far away, Bobby. Don't they have places like this where you've been? Not like this one. You see, they, they don't have any wars. Let's walk. All right. What would you like to do now? Go to the movies. All right. No fooling? No fooling. Uh, do you have to have money to go there? Well, I've got two dollars. I'll treat you, okay? No, I want to take you. Look, do you think they'd accept these? Oh, gee, what are they? Diamonds? Well, in some places, these are what people use for money. They're easy to carry and they don't wear out. I bet they're worth a million dollars. Would you give me your two dollars for two of these? Sure, okay. There you are. Um, let's not say anything to Mom about this, huh? Why not? Well, she doesn't like me to take advantage of people. Hey, before we go to the movies, would you like to see the Abraham Lincoln Memorial? Thank you. Yes, I would. Well, this is it. That's the Gettysburg speech up there. That this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. Those are great words. That's some statue. That's the kind of man I'd like to talk to. Bobby, who is the greatest man in America today? Oh, gee, I don't know. The spaceman, I guess. <laughs> I was speaking of Earthmen. Oh, I don't know. The president? I mean the greatest philosopher, the greatest thinker, scholar. Oh, well, that's Professor Barnhart, I guess. Yes, Professor Barnhart. He's the greatest scientist in the world, and he lives right here in Washington, right near where my mother works. Where is that? Department of Commerce. She's a secretary. Why? I have an idea, Bobby. Let's go see Professor Barnhart. What for? You just said he's the greatest man in America. You're kidding, aren't you? Wouldn't you like to meet him? Oh, sure I would. Oh, go on. I bet you'd be scared. Maybe we can scare him more than he can scare us. I like you, Mr. Carpenter. You're a real screwball. Gee, maybe the professor isn't at home. Let's take a look through that window. I'll bet this is where he works. Look in there. Books all over. Blackboard's full of stuff. That door's locked, too. Is it? I know it isn't, Bobby. Well, that's funny. We'll go in and wait for him. I'm sure he won't mind. Gee, just think. All the brains that goes on in here. What's all that stuff on the blackboard? It's a problem in celestial mechanics. And what's the matter? You'll never get the answer that way. Let's see. Hey, it says don't erase. Don't touch. Now, this is right. Check. Correct. Correct. And here's where he gets off the track. Now we'll fix that. So, so. You must be an arithmetic teacher, I bet. Differentiate the equation there. Who are you? Uh-oh. How dare you come in like this? How dare you write on that blackboard? Do you realize the professor's been working on that problem for weeks? He'll solve it in no time now. What do you want? 
We came to see Professor Barnhart. Well, he's not here, and he won't be back until evening. I think you better leave. Will you tell him that Mr. Carpenter was here? 1615 M Street, Northwest. I think he'll want to talk to me. Indeed. Thank you. Oh, it may have entered your mind to erase what I've written on the blackboard. It certainly has. I wouldn't do that. The professor needs it very badly. Come on, Bobby. Carpenter, 1650 M Street, Northwest. Carpenter, M Street. Operator, give me the police. Act two of The Day the Earth Stood Still in a few moments after we see if Francis Scully has any big news for us tonight. Oh, I do, Ken, about a big man in a big picture. The picture is Warner Brothers' Wayne Fellows' production, Hondo, in 3D. And the big man must be John Wayne, even bigger in 3D. <laughs> oh, and better than ever, too. For his leading lady, John drew one of last year's most talked about and talented Broadway actresses, Geraldine Page. Oh, yes. Uh, Hondo is her first Hollywood picture, isn't it? That's right. And isn't that the one that was filmed in a really wild part of Mexico? Camargo, Mexico, Ken, where it's hot as well as wild. In the picture, John plays a part Indian dispatch rider for the U.S. Cavalry around 1870. Geraldine is lovely as the woman he falls in love with. Ah, uh, she's a fine actress. Knows a good thing when she sees it, too, because she's a real luxe girl. You'll be getting in on a good thing, too, once you use mild and gentle Lux toilet soap. Nine out of ten Hollywood stars, like Geraldine Page, have found that really there's no soap quite like Lux. And now our producer, Mr. Cummings. Act two of The Day the Earth Stood Still, starring Michael Rennie as Klaatu and Jean Peters as Helen Benson. <laughs> It is early evening of the same day. Tom Stevens and Helen Benson drive up to the boarding house after their picnic, quite unaware of the dark squad car parked at the curb a few feet ahead. Well, here we are. Thank you, Tom. It was a wonderful day. You um, still haven't answered my question. Oh, you know how I feel, Tom. I still want time to think it over. <laughs> if I could only tell the boss I was getting married and acquiring two dependents. <laughs> You're a good salesman. <laughs> uh, a good salesman wouldn't give you time to think about it. <laughs> good night. Uh, didn't you forget something? Now, good night. <laughs> good night. Night. Oh, Mr. Carpenter. Hi, Mom. Hello, darling. Uh, Mrs. Benson, this is Mr. Brady. How do you do? How do you do? Well, Mr. Brady's a government agent. Oh? Did you have a nice day, Bobby? We had a swell time, didn't we, Mr. Carpenter? Yes, we did. We went to the movies and had a banana split, and we went to see Daddy. Oh, I don't know how to thank you, Mr. Carpenter. I enjoyed every minute of it. We better get going. Yes. Good night, Bobby. Good night. I'll tell you the rest of that story tomorrow. Good night, Mrs. Benson. Good night. Nice meeting you, Mrs. Benson. Thank you. Why did Mr. Carpenter have to go with Mr. Brady? 
I don't know. Maybe it was a mistake. Upstairs with you. Yeah. We sure had fun today. We went all over Washington, and we went to see Professor Barnhart. Professor Barnhart? Oh, sure. Barnhart? Up to bed now. Pronto. <laughs> Is uh, this the man you want to see, Professor Barnhart? Oh, uh, thank you, Mr. Brady. If I may speak to Mr. Carpenter alone, please. I'll wait outside, Professor. You are Mr. Carpenter? Yes, Professor. Who wrote those equations on my blackboard? My clumsy way of introducing myself. Forgive the manner in which you were picked up. Hilda called the police before I saw your annotations on the board. I appreciate the need for security, Professor. I have not quite fathomed the problem, even with your remarkable assistance, Mr. Carpenter. Let's look at it, sir. All you have to do now is substitute this expression at this point. Yes, that will reproduce the first order term. But what about the effect of the other terms? Negligible. With variation of parameters, this is the answer. How can you be so sure? Have you tested this theory? I find it works well enough to get me from one planet to another. Clatu. I spent two days at your Walter Reed Hospital. I was interviewed by. I need no proof. This blackboard is proof. If you are not interested, or if you intend to turn me over to the army, we needn't waste any more time. Interested? Will you excuse me one moment, please? Uh, Mr. Brady, you may go now. Please thank General Cutler and tell him... Tell him that I know this gentleman. So much for that, Klaatu. Now, please sit down. You have faith, Professor. Faith and uh, uh, curiosity. Uh, do sit down. I have several thousand questions to ask you. I would like to explain my mission here. That is my first question. It was my hope to discuss this officially with all the nations of the world. I was not allowed the opportunity. Now, we know from scientific observation that your planet has discovered a rudimentary kind of atomic energy. We also know that you're experimenting with rockets. Yes, that is true. What exactly is the nature of your mission? To warn you that your planet faces danger. What I have to say must be said to all concerned. I come to you as a last resort. Must I take drastic action in order to get a hearing? What sort of action do you mean? Violent action? Perhaps leveling the island of Manhattan? Or toppling the rock of Gibraltar into the sea? Well? Uh, would you, for example, be willing to meet with a group of scientists I'm calling together? We're having our first meeting tonight. Perhaps you could explain your mission to them and they in turn could present it to their various peoples. That is what I came to see you about. One thing, Klaatu. Suppose this group should reject your proposals. What is the alternative? There is no alternative, Professor. In such a case, the planet Earth would have to be eliminated. Such power exists? I assure you, such power exists. The uh, scientists who are attending these meetings have come here from all over the world. Now, this power you speak of, they must be made to realize that it exists. Now, you mentioned a demonstration of force. Yes. Something that would affect the entire planet? That can be arranged. Uh, perhaps uh, a little uh, demonstration. <laughs> Something dramatic but not destructive. It's quite an interesting problem. Would tomorrow be all right? If you say so. Say about noon? Then tomorrow at noon. Good. <laughs> 
Going out tonight, Mrs. Benson? Oh. Oh, it's you, Mr. Carpenter. I'm afraid I startled you. Yes, I am going out. Mr. Stevens is calling for me. Everyone seems so... so... Jittery is the word. (laughs) Bobby's the only person I know who isn't jittery. He's a fine boy, Mrs. Benson. Naturally, I think so. Warm, friendly, intelligent. He's the only real friend I've made since I've been here. Mr. Carpenter, this is none of my business, but why did that detective come here last night, that Mr. Brady? Bobby and I tried to see Professor Barnhart in the afternoon, but he wasn't in. Apparently, they thought I was looking for secrets of some kind. Oh, that must be Tom now. Oh, Mr. Stevens, do come in. Helen is in the sitting room. Alert Mrs. Crockett. She has a romantic mind. Hello there, Helen. Had a minute to spare. You ready? Hello, Carpenter. Uh, Picture starts at 8.50 on the dot, Helen. I'll be ready in a minute. I was just talking to Mr. Carpenter. Oh, I hope Mr. Carpenter won't think I'm intruding. Excuse me. I was just going up to my room. Good night. Good night, Mr. Carpenter. Have a good time, both of you. Thank you. Tom, that was awful. Uh, I'm sorry. I guess I'm just tired of hearing about Mr. Carpenter. Mr. Carpenter. I don't like the way he's attached himself to you and Bobby. After all, what, what do you know about him? Very little, it's true. Well, let's not stand and talk about it anymore. I'll go up and get my things. Gee, Mr. Carpenter, thanks a lot for helping me with my homework. That's all there is to it, Bobby, my boy. All you have to remember is, first find the common denominator, then subtract. I got you. Thanks, Mr. Carpenter. I'm leaving with Tom, Bobby. You'll go to bed on time now, won't you? I'll say goodnight again, Mrs. Benson. Mr. Carpenter... Yes? Nothing. Good night. Good night. Night, Bobby. Bobby, I think it would be better if you didn't see quite so much of Mr. Carpenter. Well, gee, why, Mom? He's swell. I like him. And he's awful good at arithmetic. He even helped Professor Barnhart. I... Well, I'm sure he's a very nice man. I just think he might prefer to be left alone. Now go to bed, darling. Why would he want to be left alone? Don't forget to brush your teeth. Come in. Bobby, do you have a flashlight I might borrow for tonight? Oh, sure, Mr. Carpenter. It's a real Boy Scout one. Thank you, Bobby. Why do you want it? The light in my room went out. See you tomorrow. Better get into bed now. Gee, I wonder if the batteries are any good. Uh, Mr. Carpenter! Bobby went to the door and opened it. What he saw down the hallway puzzled him. Mr. Carpenter's door was ajar and light was pouring out of his room. Funny. Who said his light went out? Then Mr. Carpenter came out carrying the flashlight and stealing down the steps like a thief. This was peculiar, but this was adventure. Bobby followed Mr. Carpenter, and what he saw couldn't have been a dream. It was too real. But it couldn't have been true either. It was too deliciously frightful. Dream or not, it was filled with darkness stung by staccato flashes from a genuine Boy Scout flashlight. Flashes that activated a giant robot into knocking out his guards so that Mr. Carpenter from the boarding house could get into the shed the army had built around the spaceship. And dream or not, Bobby saw this Mr. Carpenter go into the spaceship. And then a wave of sheer terror swept over Bobby at last, and he turned and ran wildly away, the way little boys always run in nightmares. 
trying so hard and moving so slowly and all the time falling down. It was awful. It was swell. When his mother came home around midnight, Bobby was curled up on the sofa. Instantly, he jumped up and ran to her and to Tom Stevens as they came into the hallway. Mom, Mom, listen. Bobby, what are you doing down here at this hour, fully dressed? Hello, Mr. Stevens. Mom, I had to tell you. Tell me what? What's the matter, Bobby? I followed Mr. Carpenter tonight, right after you left, and gee, where do you think he went? Right into the spaceship. Now, Bobby, just one minute. Honest, Mom, I saw him. They got a shed built around the spaceship so nobody can get to it. But Mr. Carpenter flashed a signal to that Iron Man up there. And what do you think? Bobby, have you been dreaming again? <laughs> Why, sure. No, Mom, honest, I haven't. I promise you, I saw it. Where, where did you see all of this? Well, I'm telling you, on the lawn, down at the mall. In that place where the soldiers are all out in front. Oh? Uh, and where were the soldiers all this time? Well, that robot fella grabbed him and knocked him out. Oh, Bobby. Yeah, and then Mr. Carpenter walked into the shed, and the spaceship opened up, and he walked right inside, and it closed again. Gee, I like Mr. Carpenter, but I'm scared, Mom. Oh, darling, it was just a bad dream. We'll prove it to you. Tom, will you see if Mr. Carpenter's still up? Ask him to come down here a minute. <laughs> Yes, Tom? Helen, he's not there, but look what I found on the carpet. It can't be a diamond, can it? I don't know. But it's much too big. Oh, but it looks real to me. Oh, Mr. Carpenter's got lots of them. He gave a couple of them to me. Here. He gave you these? Well, not exactly. I gave him two dollars. I, I, I don't know, but this whole thing, it just does, that doesn't make sense. Look... Helen, do you think it's all right for you to stay here? There's a strong lock on my door. And Bobby's going to sleep in my room tonight. Okay. Upstairs, nightmare boy. It wasn't a nightmare. Bobby. Yeah, Mom? Bobby, your shoes are soaking wet. Yeah, grass on the mall was kind of wet. Good night, all. Oh, Tom. I wonder. <laughs> Klaatu had promised what Professor Barnhart termed a little demonstration. Promised it for the following day at noon. It is now two minutes to twelve. In the Department of Commerce building, Helen Benson has left her office on her way to lunch. She stands in the corridor waiting for an elevator. Mrs. Benson. Mr. Carpenter, what are you doing here? I came to see you. Well, I was just going to lunch... What is it? I saw Bobby this morning before he went to school. Yes? I want to know what he told you. <laughs> oh, Bobby has such an active imagination. Did you believe what he told you? Really, Mr. Carpenter, this is where I work, and I only have a short time for lunch today. If you'll excuse me... I'll go down with you. If you like. The service elevator's open. You'll have to press the button, Mr. Carpenter. Oh, yes, yes. It was just five seconds before noon of that fateful day when Helen Benson and Mr. Carpenter stepped into that electric elevator. At that same moment, the enormous commerce of our briskly modern world roared and thundered in the streets.
Five seconds to noon. Four seconds. Three seconds. Two seconds. One. Zero. High noon. And silence. All over the world, traffic stopped dead in a million streets. Here and there, a horse-drawn vehicle clopped its melancholy way among the motionless motors. Bicycles moved before awe and the common desolation made the riders stop of their own free will. Electric clocks stopped on the dot of noon. All across the powered world, the machines stood still. Toasters failed to pop and battle fleets on maneuvers drifted aimlessly on their dead propellers. Joe Smith's milkshake didn't spin, and the humming turbines deep in Hoover Dam didn't produce current. Mrs. Housewife's washer stopped in the middle of its cycle, and electric lights went out all over the world. At a conference table in Washington, a hasty council of the armed services was held. As far as we can tell, gentlemen, all electric power has been cut off all over, with few exceptions. And even these exceptions are remarkable. Hospitals, planes and flight, that sort of thing. I wish I could be more specific, but all communications are out. I can tell you that we are preparing to declare a state of national emergency, but before we start discussing plans, I want a report from Colonel Ryder. All I can report, General, is that the robot at the spaceship was discovered to have moved last night. It knocked unconscious the two soldiers guarding the entrance to the shed the Army engineers had built around the spaceship, indicating that someone, presumably the spaceman, it wanted to get into the ship for one reason or another. In our likelihood to signal for this demonstration of his planet's power. Go on, Colonel. Well, that's all, sir. Well, gentlemen, until now, we've agreed on the desirability of capturing this man alive. We can no longer afford to be soft in this matter. We will get him alive if possible, but we must get him. Is that clear, gentlemen? Dead or alive? Get him. <laughs> Curtain Rises on Act Three of The Day the Earth Stood Still, starring Michael Rennie as Clatu and Jean Peters as Helen Benson. All over the world, electric power has been neutralized on the stroke of noon as a token of the spaceman's power and as a warning to the Earth. While they've been trapped between floors in an elevator, the spaceman has told Helen his identity and purpose here. I've already told you more than I told Professor Barnhart, because my life, in a sense, is in your hands. But if I die, a world, your world, may die too. Yes, I... I understand. I thought if you knew the facts, you'd appreciate the importance of my not being caught before the meeting tonight with the world scientists. Yes, of course. Of course I do. You hold great hope for this meeting, don't you? I can see no other hope for your planet. 
If the meeting should fail, then I'm afraid there is no hope. Oh, the lights. And we started again. It must be 12.30. Yes, exactly. Where are you going now? Back to the boarding house. I'll be safe there for the afternoon. I'll be able to keep an eye on Bobby. He's the only other person who knows about me. No. Wait a minute. There is someone else. How? They can't be. Tom. He was with me last night when Bobby told me what he saw. Well, of course, he doesn't know anything definite, and well, he talked to me first before... But then we can't take a chance, can we? Can you get in touch with him? I think so. I mean at once, now. I'll try. You will. You must. Hello. Hello. Operator, I was connected with my party. Please. Hello. Oh, is this Mr. Tom Stevens' office again? We were discon... Well, I must speak to Mr. St- no, Mr. Stevens, yes, this is Mrs. Benson. Benson! Well, when do you expect him in, then? Well, will you tell him I called, and please, not to leave his office. I'm coming down to see him. Yes, yes, it's very important. To you, too. Margaret, this is Mr. Stevens. I just got in. Now, listen, call the Pentagon and... Who? Mrs. Benson, when? Uh, well, yeah, n- never mind. This is more important. Listen, now, call the Pentagon and find out who's in charge of the spaceman business. Whoever it is, I want to talk to him. Tom. Call me back right away and don't take any other calls. I'll brush him off fast. Tom, I've been trying to get you all afternoon. I've got some pretty terrific news about your good friend, Mr. Carpenter. What about him? He's the man from the spaceship. I had that diamond or whatever it is checked at three different places. Nobody on Earth's ever seen a stone like that. And after what Bobby's told us, that's enough for me. Why is it nobody knows about this Mr. Carpenter? Why hasn't he got any money? All right, Tom. It's true. How do you know? You've just got to promise me you won't say a word to anybody. Oh, nobody but the Pentagon. Please, Tom. Are you crazy? After what happened today, he's a menace. You don't understand. You don't realize how important this is. Important? Of course it's important, and we can do something about it. You mustn't do anything about it, Tom. Believe me, I know what I'm talking about. I say he is dangerous. It is our duty to turn him in. He isn't dangerous. He's... He isn't a menace. He... He told me what he came here for. Oh, honey, don't be silly because you happen to like the guy. Do you realize what this will mean for us? I'll be the biggest man in the country. I'll write my own ticket. Is that what you're thinking about? Listen, somebody's got to get rid of him. Tom, I'm not going to let you do it. Tom, don't Hello, Margaret. Yeah. General Cutley? Good. Now, hold on. You don't know what you're doing. It isn't just you and Mr. Carpenter. Mr. Carpenter. It's everybody. The rest of the world is involved. I don't give a hang about the rest of the world. I'm in this for me. Tom. Now, you'll feel different when you see my picture in the papers. I feel different right now. Well, you'll see. You're going to marry a hero. I'm not going to marry anybody. Not even a hero. Hey, Helen. Uh, uh, hello? General Cutler? Uh, General, my name is Tom Stevens, uh, with a V. Yeah. I, I have positive information about the spaceman and where he's staying. Right. Yeah, yeah of course I'm sure. He is living in a boarding house at 1615 M Street, Northwest. That is correct, General. Yes, I have all of it now, Mr. Stevenson. Thank you very much indeed. I don't want to talk to you further, but I haven't time now. We want to act on this. Yes, sir? Have Colonel Ryder deploy all Zone 5 units according to Plan B immediately. Investigate 1615 M Street, Northwest for presence of spaceman. Repeat. (laughs) 
Mr. Carpenter. Right here. Did you see Tom? What does he say? It's no good. It's too late. I got a taxi outside. Hurry. Attention zone five. Attention zone five. Man and woman observed entering taxi at 1615 M Street Northwest. Man is probably Klaatu, alias Carpenter. Establish roadblocks according to plan Baker and maintain station. Remain on radio alert until further orders. I don't know. I think we may have been seen getting into the taxi. Where can you go? Shh. I'm sure Barnhart can arrange to hide me until the meeting tonight. Where's it going to be? At the ship. Now look there. Army cars. Full troops in full gear. The alarm is out all right. It's only a few more blocks to Professor Barnhart's. I'm worried about Gort. I'm afraid of what he might do if anything should happen to me. Gort? But he's a robot. He's a product of centuries of refinement. But what could he do without you? There's no limit to what he could do. He could destroy the Earth. And the city is swarming with patrol cars, hunting you. How can we tell them? They won't listen. You must listen. If anything happens to me, you must go to Gort. You must give him this message. Klaatu, Barada, Nikto. Gort. Klaatu, Barada, Nikto. Say it. Gort. Klaatu, Barada... Nikto. Gort. Klaatu, Barada, Nikto. Klaatu, Barada, Nikto. Remember those words. Klaatu, Barada, Nikto. Attention zone five. Taxi cab moving north on 14th Street from Harvard Street. Man and woman in back seat. License number H0012. H0012. Section two, close in. This is your target vehicle. We're hemmed in. Driver will get out here. I'm going to try to run for it. If they get me, you get to Gort. Now. God, run! Never mind, I'll check the guy. Barada, Nikto, Klaatu, Barada, Nikto, Klaatu. Centuries. Ages of superhuman, superplanetary skill had bred intuition and a dim power of reason into the enormously complex intelligence inside of Gort's metal brain case. When Helen Benson stumbled up to the shed that housed the space machine, the guards were not there. Then she saw them. They were lying inside, their rifles fused and bent. Gort somehow knew that Klaatu was dead. Gort was already on the move. He was on the move toward Helen. No! No! God, no! The visor of his helmet was opening on that cosmic incandescence within, seething with world ruin, aiming impassively at Helen. God! God! Klaatu! Klaatu! Barada! Barada! Nick.
Benson fainted. When she returned to consciousness, she was lying on a dais bathed in a soft, shadowless light in a chamber vaguely circular of completely unfamiliar build. She was in the space machine. Across the room stood Gort with his back to her and lying in front of him on a platform was Klaatu. Mr. Carpenter. Gort, the machine, the automaton, was applying electrodes to his master and a piercing, whining, maddening sound filled the ship. Klaatu moved. He sat up. Stood up. Mr. Carpenter. Hello. I... I thought you were... I was. They took me to an emergency hospital at the city jail. Gort broke in and took me back here. This technique can restore life in some cases, only for a limited time. How long? No one can tell. Time enough and more for me to go outside and speak to Professor Bernhardt's scientists. I must speak to them. It's what I came for. Gort will put out the ramp. People of Earth, you men of science, you are here from all over your world, Europe, Asia, representing many nations, many ideas. I am leaving soon. You will forgive me if I speak bluntly. The universe grows smaller every day. Where I come from, we believe there must be security for all or no one is secure. This does not mean giving up any freedom except the freedom to act irresponsibly. This is the message that I ask you to take back when you return to your native lands. Tell your people and your governments that we have created a race of robots whose function it is to patrol the planets in spaceships and preserve the peace. At the first sign of treachery, they will act automatically. Nothing you have here on Earth can stop them. The penalty for provoking their action is too terrible to risk. Your choice is simple. Live in peace or perish in violence. We shall be waiting for your answer. The decision rests with you. Gort Baringo. Remember. I'll remember, Mr. Carpenter. see him depart, and the people of the earth pondered upon the warning. (laughs) 
In a moment, our stars will return. Pepsodent's new flavor. Pepsodent's new flavor. Pepsodent's new flavor. Wow! Pepsodent's new flavor. And the clean mouth taste for hours. Yes, the big news is Pepsodent has a brand new wonderful flavor. Grown-ups prefer it, but kids, well, kids go crazy for it. And that's not all. I've seen the research that proves Pepsodent gives you the cleanest teeth of all leading toothpastes. That's because Pepsodent's gentle oral detergent cleans not just the surfaces of your teeth, but around and between them, even where your brush can't reach. Your own personal proof of this is Pepsodent's clean mouth taste for hours. So try new Pepsodent White, or if you prefer chlorophyll, Pepsodent Chlorophyll. You like Pepsodent's new flavor. Pepsodent's new flavor. Pepsodent's new flavor. And the clean mouth taste for hours. And now, here's Mr. Cummings with our stars. And here they are at the two out-of-this-world performances, Michael Rennie and Gene Peters. <laughs> Mike, have you ever seen any UMOs? What's a UMO? An unidentifiable moving object. <laughs> yes, I saw several years ago in London. You mean during the war? No, when I was a very young actor but the flying objects were later identified as ripe tomatoes and eggs and cauliflower. <laughs> and how about you, Jean? Seen any flying saucers? Oh, actresses aren't interested in such things, Irving. We prefer King of the Kyber rifles. After all, who cares about spacemen when you can see Tyrone Power and Michael Rennie in their latest picture, co-starring with Terry Moore? Oh, Marilyn Monroe, Betty Grable, and Lauren Bacall in How to Marry a Millionaire. And both these 20th Century Fox pictures are in Technicolor and Cinemascope. And these exciting new mediums are especially interesting to actresses. And you stars must be especially interested in Lux Soap for your complexion. We certainly are. I, for one, started using Lux Soap for my complexion years ago, and I'm certainly glad I did. Good night. Good night. Good night, and happy landing. If you enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow the Riley and Kimmy show. We feature old time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R-I-L-E-Y. And Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y, dot com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals, too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy Show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Find archive podcasts of the Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com.